Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Morning, if you would grab your Bible, go ahead and cut that camera on this morning if you don't mind. Open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13 this morning. As you know, we've gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter in the book of Hebrews, and today will be no different. If you are looking in your Bible today, you'll see that we're in the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. I want to go ahead and preemptively let you know that once we're finished with the book of Hebrews, we will double back and look at the book of Luke. And we'll We'll probably be in the book of Luke for the next two to three years going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You say, Lord knows, preacher, that's a long time. Well, we ain't got nothing but time and blessings. Amen. So we'll be looking at the book of Hebrews today. The reason you're using your Bible and not some New York Times bestseller book or even using a, a guide post or a daily brand is because we believe here at Riverside that the, that the, the Bible is a written, reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, which means the Bible in the Bible alone. We also believe in sola fide, which means faith and faith alone. We also believe in sola Christus, which means Christ and Christ alone. We also believe in sola, sola gracia, which means grace and grace alone. We also believe in sola deo gloria, which means for God's glory and His glory alone. Here in the book of Hebrews, we're looking at as the author continues from chapter number 12. We saw in the last chapter how things would be shaken. We saw about the mountaintops found in chapter number 12. We spoke about Sinai, how the thundering and the lightning and the trumpet sounds and the terror of God comes down to the mountain and it causes the people of God to run the other direction because God was giving the law at Mount Sinai. Then we saw on the other mountain peak in the distance, we saw Mount Zion where we see God having a festive reunion with the people of God with holy angels inviting people in. But how do you get from one mountain to the other? Well, of course, you've got to go through Mount Calvary. There where our Lord was lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth. And He invites all men into Him when He is lifted up. And that's the doorway into perpetual peace. That's the doorway to grace and mercy. That's the doorway to life. That's how you get to Mount Zion. Now the author continues in chapter number 13. We saw how he used the analogy in the Old Covenant of Mount Sinai. And he'll continue to reach in the Old Covenant to help reiterate the New Covenant. We've read through the book of Hebrews as the, the author of Hebrews, who I am convinced is to be Paul, the apostle, who's writing to who, Hebrews who have now become Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews are those who are from the Jewish DNA background of Abraham. However, they believe that Jesus is God. Once you become a believer in Christ and you belong to the tribes of Israel you are blackballed. You are kicked out of the family. You're put out of the tabernacle. So this was written to those who were kicked out of society. If you were a, a blacksmith and you were an Israel, Israel member, a national Israel member 
and your ancestor was Abraham, and you would go to tabernacle every Sabbath, and then you made a profession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, you were kicked out of your guild. You were kicked out of your, your background. Those who are around you in the community who did the same job as you. Now, that might not mean much because now in our day, we retire, we have Social Security, we have retirement and pensions and all kinds of funds that come our way when we retire. However, when you grew older and this time, you would actually lean upon the people in your community that had the same background as you. But once you made a confession of faith, you were no longer a part of that community. So you put your livelihood on the line to say that Jesus is Lord. And can you imagine those who were in the Hebrew nation, they recant their faith. They fall back into apostasy, falling in the old covenant, and that is why Hebrews was written. How does that apply to us today? There are many people who do not consider the cost whenever they follow Jesus. They will be blackballed from their family. They will not be invited to all the parties. They will not be considered someone that they want to have other people around. So they will be considered uh, religious. They'll be somebody who's a holy roller. Someone who found Jesus and they might recant their faith. So the book of Hebrews can really encourage those who are wavering in the faith. Those who are weak in the faith. Those who are struggling, wondering if it's worth it all. Wondering if I'm weary, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? As we look in chapter 13, let us, let brotherly love continue. That's a simple verse. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding us to let brotherly love continue. It's something that we should have already been doing. What is brotherly love? Having concern for someone above even ourselves. Checking on that other person. Sacrificing for that other person. Here we see where Paul is reiterating by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to the believer. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love will look like correction. Brotherly love will look like sacrifice. Brotherly love will be not me first but you. If you remember back in the day, those old cartoons of Chip and Dale. Chip and Dale would stand at the corner and say, after you. No, after you. And they would do that a good ten minutes. And as a child, I would laugh as they tried to let each other go through the door first. We should have a Chip and Dale mentality. Not me, but you. You first. This is about you. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Will it be a text? Will it be a call? Will it be a, a postcard in the mailbox? Will it be me helping pay for your mortgage? Will it be me coming to your house and encouraging, holding your hand while you weep? Let, 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 let brotherly love continue. That means don't stifle it. Well, I ain't received none of that brotherly love. Maybe you're the one who will ignite it. Maybe you'll be the one that stirs the coals in a cold church. Maybe you'll be the one that whenever the flame is stoked, it catches fire and people just fall madly in love with Jesus and with each other. Here, the apostle says, let love, brotherly love continue. Cross-reference would be Romans chapter 12. Paul, once again, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Paul, again, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, now concerning brother love, brotherly love, love you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Truly, when you love another person, it's because you've received love from God. And you love God. You don't love other people to receive love from God. You already receive love from God. So you're able to love somebody else. 
1 Peter 1.22 Peter the Apostle says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That you're not loving someone to get something. You're not manipulating somebody to get something out of them. Sometimes it will cost you. Sometimes it will cost you your time. Sometimes it will inconvenience you. Let lover, brotherly love continue. First Peter, once again, chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Peter here actually tells us in 1 Peter 2, 17. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood and fear God. But then he adds honor the emperor on top of that. This is just a side note. For those who don't understand and know that Peter was executed by the emperor. The emperor of Rome had Peter killed because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. But Peter writes here, pray for the emperor. Let that resound in your ears today, believer. Let it get past your ears, past your logic, and down into your heart to pray for those in leadership above you. Those in your local body here at the congregation in the church, but also in our community. Pray for your mayors and congressmen. Pray, pray for your council members. Pray for your senators. Pray. Pray for Congress. Pray. Pray for our president. Pray. Ask God to intervene. To soften hearts. To let blind eyes see and let deaf ears hear. For Peter said, pray for the emperor. We should pray for our kings and our presidents. And we should honor everyone. We should love the brotherhood and fear God. What does love look like? Love is present. Love is there. Love is I'm available. I'm here. That's what love looks like. Love doesn't say, well, when it's convenient for me. Love doesn't say, when I got time, I'll fit you in my schedule. Love, when you love someone, you'll do for someone. It's mighty quiet in here, but it sure is truth. Here the Apostle tells us in Hebrews 13.1 Let brotherly love continue. That means we should have been doing it. And we continue to do it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For therefore have some entertained angels unaware. He, he's telling us to be hospitable. That we are to be kind and warm to each other. That, we are not to neglect it that our lives, not just our homes, are open up to those around us. That we just don't see each other as work friends only on the weekend. We all have those work friends, those who we work and co-labored in our vocational jobs. We considered them friends at work, but we didn't see them during the weekends and on the afternoons. We only saw them from 9 to 5 and we considered them our friends. However, whenever we left the job, we didn't see them anymore because that was work. That we're not consumers. We're not people here at a factory. That we're a community of believers. That we have hospitality. That our, not our, just our homes are opened up, but our lives. You know me intimately. You know what I think. You know my heart. You know my desires. You know my failings. You know my warts and all. You know where I struggle. You know where I'm struggling because you know me. I shouldn't be the only one you know in this church. 
I, I shouldn't be the only one you know by name. I shouldn't be the only one that you can read into and know what kind of mood I'm in just because you see me standing before you every Sunday, every Wednesday. There should be others around you that you know intimately, not know about, not that you're fans of, but you're friends of. There's a difference. There's celebrities that I'm a fan of. I know of them, but I don't know them. I know about them, but I don't know them. There shouldn't be people in this church that you know about. You should know them. How do I do that, preacher? It's as simple as this. Hey, how are you doing? How's the weather? Small talk breaks the door down and that opens up for bigger things. Build relationship within our congregation. That we should show hospitality and love and kindness one to another. Now, don't get me wrong, church. I'm not, I'm not shellacking anybody here. This is one of the lovingest churches I've ever been a part of. But this is the text that we're going through. It's good for us to hear this. This is what is required of us as believers. I didn't pick this text. This is the next part in line. This is not a correcting for us. I'm not saying that we're not loving and not showing hospitable attitudes towards each other. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that's what's in the text. And this is how we ought to live. In 1 Peter 4.9, once again, Peter rings in. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If you're going to grumble, I'd rather you not do it. I'd rather you don't even do it because your heart is not in it. You're doing it for another reason. Out of guilt. We're usually... We usually have motivation out of guilt or gratitude. Either we're required to do it because we feel like we have to do it, or we do it because we're grateful and we want to do it. On Judgment Day, Jesus explains in 1 Peter 4.9... No, we, that's, we already did that one. We already saw where Peter says show hospitality with one another without grumbling. That we shouldn't grumble and feel like it's obligation to show kindness and mercy to one another. And we look at verse number 3. Remember those who are in prison as, though, as through in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And verse number 3 the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and He says, remember those who were in prison. Prison ain't necessarily places downtown with bars on them. Prison can be depression. Prison can be in a bad marriage. Prison can be a, a broken, broken spirit. It can also be a place where you're downtown shackled up because of troubles you've done. It can also be downtown locked up because you preached the gospel. And the time that this was written... The apostle was reminding us and reminding the body to remember the Christians that are locked up in Rome during this time at the Colosseum. They would take Christians who were arrested and put them in the Colosseum to fight off tigers and lions. They would put them there to fight gladiators and to the eruption of the crowd who gathered to be entertained. They saw Christians being murdered and killed as entertainment. So here the Apostle is writing for us to remember those who are incarcerated. There are many Christians in jail today who when they went to jail they weren't Christians but they heard the gospel in jail and now they've been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember those who are in prison. We are to remember them and honor them and pray for them as though in prison with them. 
To be in their shoes. What would we feel? What would we want somebody to pray for us for if we were in their shoes? But those who are mistreated over in China. I've told you before that on a Sunday morning, the communist regime would wake to the Christians gathered in the church, especially in the Philippines. They have the highest rate of Muslims in the Philippines. I don't know if you knew that. But the most Muslims live in the Philippines. And on a Sunday morning, the small churches would gather in a church. The building probably not this big. But they would gather and they would worship and sing hymns to Jesus. Honoring Jesus by preaching the Word of God. And those in the community who were not Christians would gather around the church and bar the doors. Set the church on fire, literally, with fire. Burn the church down with the Christians inside. All for the sake of Allah and honoring Muhammad. Here, the apostle speaks to us, to those who have been mistreated. We're to pray for them. It just so happens here in America, we're able freely to come and serve Jesus on a Sunday morning. I don't know for how much longer, but we can. And we will. Until they lock us up. Until they bar the doors with us inside. A sacrificial love. A brotherly love. Verse 4, he says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I don't want to sound like I, I harp on this all the time. You would seem that younger people, people in their 20s and 30s, have a problem with this as they jump from one bed to the other. But as I've learned being a minister here, even at Riverside, it ain't just young people, it's all the people hopping from one bed to the other. Preacher, I can't believe you talk about this. Babies in the room. They need to hear it. They need to know what honoring the marriage bed means. It means being covenantal. To being uh, uh, someone, I'm with you till death do us part. Amen. Why are you saying that way, preacher? If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you the truth. Because the rest of the text says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God. This is why. For God. Not because it's the preacher's opinion. I'm not up here preaching my opinion. This ain't what I think. This is not the television show starring Kevin as we gather together and like it was a talk show and I tell you what I think standing on my soapbox. No, I had the Scriptures open before me. So saith the Lord and we, we, we receive the oracles of God honoring Him and believing Him at what He says. Thus saith the Lord, He says, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I, I don't have to say nothing else. I, if you're in a, 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 even if it looks like you're in an adulterous relationship, you better fear for your soul. Even if it looks like it. That immoralism should not even be named among you. I know that's going to ruffle some feathers. I know some people ain't going to like it. But I'd rather displease you and honor God any day. That I should be bold and brazen here in the pulpit. Because this is Him extending His grace towards you. If you are living in sin, repent and stop. You, you, you feel bad for your sins, but not bad enough to stop. That's what, that's what repentance is. Bad enough to stop. 
and the marriage bed to be undefiled, that also means not just shacking up. That also means pornography, lusting, men and women. Not just on the computer, but walking around in Walmart. Letting your eye wander. Letting your bosom burn to be Old Testament. Lust consuming you and burning you. Burning your soul alive. Getting your heart and soul prepared for hell is what it's doing. Letting the marriage bed be undefiled. That it should be pure and holy and blameless before God. That you are committed to the one you love. Some of y'all are not married. We did... We looked at some research, and in our congregation, there's about nine married couples. You might say, that's not a lot. Well, that's 18 people. But there's a lot of single people who are not married. This does not fall on your deaf ears, because if, you, if God has called you to someone to marriage, you know what to do in that situation. We always say, stop, drop, and roll. We ain't on fire at the time, but that's what we study to learn, that if we catch on fire, we stop, drop, and roll. If God called you into a relationship, if you're just dating or just playing the field, you should know what boundaries and what fences should be put up to honor your God. And those who are married, who are in covenant relationships, you do not defile the marriage bed. You don't go to bed with nasty sheets. You don't go to bed with stained and soiled sheets. You don't want to defile your bed physically. So why would you sleep around in the community? And even if you don't even do it physically, you do it mentally, so you're defiling the marriage bed. I know I won't get no amens. That's all right. You ain't going to shout me down. But thus saith the Lord. This is not my opinion. Here, Paul is writing to us. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. He will judge. It ain't my job. I'm not even condemning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I think we've hard on that enough, don't you think? Some of y'all are like, hurry up, keep on going. Go, go, go. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Oh, why you got to say this one? Well, what's next? We spend all month being thankful. Thanksgiving, that's what we got. We, it gets one day Thursday. Thanksgiving, we give God thanks. We have a tendency in the book of, um, the, in, the, in the month of November to be thankful. I'm thankful for this car. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. We, all, we do it all the way to Thanksgiving. But then that next day, we ain't thankful anymore. We're about to stab somebody on Black Friday to get a $2 toaster. We ain't thankful anymore. We spent all the early in the month being thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. But Black Friday comes around and our confidence wakes up in us. Our green eyes. We start to want this and that. And we covet and we put ourselves in debt. Jesus didn't come being born of a virgin to put you in debt at Christmas. Amen. That's, that's consumerism. You're not a consumer, you're a believer. That's why you can't stream your church time on the internet. You can watch movies, but you're supposed to be a part of the believers. You're supposed to be participators. You're supposed to sing. You're supposed to receive the Word. You're supposed to pray. You're participating. Did you know we got the best worship group, the best, best worship team anywhere because it's our congregation. That's our worship team. Our people sing and worship. We don't outsource it. We don't have four people up here singing their hearts out. We got everybody singing. Amen. Thank you. 
that our hearts will not get caught up in the wrong things. We tend to do that, don't we? We get our eyes cloudy. We get distracted. Here, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Somebody might say, well, I don't love money, but I love what it could do for me. <laughs> keep your life free from the love of money. Money will become an idol to you. You'll do anything for it. You'll run for it. You'll stab for it. You'll lie for it. You'll steal for it. Keep your life free from the love of money. That money is not your end all. Money is not your safety net. Money is not what keeps you warm at night. Money is not what keeps you healthy because it buys your medicine. Money is not what keeps a roof over your head. Keep your life free from the love of money. How do you do that? How do you keep your life free from the love of money? It says be content. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like, I ain't content. I don't like where I live. I don't like what I drive. I don't like who I'm married to. I don't like my friends. I don't like, I don't like this. I don't like my dog. I, I, I don't even like my wardrobe. I'm not content. If you're not content with a little bit, you'll never be content with a lot. Mm -mm. Now, I'll say that again for those who are writing it. If you're not content with a little bit, you'll never be content, happy, pleased with a lot. He says, be content. How do you be content? I realize there's people who struggle with it. I don't happen to be that person who, who struggles with being content. I could live in a cardboard box. I'm, I'm fine. As long as I ain't cold, I'm just going to be honest. I don't want to be cold. Amen, somebody. Amen, Miss Faye. I don't want to be cold. Amen. But be content with what you have is by believing, saying, hey, I don't even deserve what I got. I, 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 God is better with me more than I deserve already. It's a miracle that I get to open my eyes up and I don't see the stars. It's a miracle that I don't open my eyes and the water don't drip on my forehead because I'm laying out beside the road. It's a miracle. I don't even deserve what I have. I deserve far less. Some of us this season would do well to be content with what God has given us. To be thankful for what God has blessed us with because we deserve far, far, far less. We deserve hell. We, we deserve God's wrath and He has He has blessed us. Let's be honest, He has blessed us. Amen. No one's skipped a meal here unless you want to. There's food in our cabinets right now. And if there's not, talk to somebody. We got some people who can help you. Amen. If you got here on fumes today and you ain't got much gas, we can find somebody to put some gas in your tank because brotherly love flows here. We help each other. When a part of our bodies hurt and ache, we don't ignore it even on our own bodies. If our pinky toe hurts, we feel it every step. If you're here today and you're part of our body, we want to help you. That means you need to show hospitality to open yourself up to people around you who need help. Well, what about people who take advantage? Well, we got deacons to handle that. Look how scary they look. They handle that. We see those who are trying to shake us down, who are trying to get a free hand out. We, we've been in the game long enough to know. And if we hadn't figured it out, we will. We'll, we'll figure it out. So you don't have to worry. Why don't you just give like you've never been shafted? Why don't you just sacrifice like nobody's ever took advantage of you? Because that's how Jesus does. We let Him handle that. We are to give like we've never been took advantage of. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Here's 
Here's something else that's so grand and wonderful to the believer. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm lacking this. I don't have that. I... We always focus on what we don't have. We always talk about, I don't have this, I'm not driving that, and my phone is the old model, I, I, my house is leaky, I got, I got, a, I got problems, my, my seven things backed up, my, I need to cut my grass, my neighbors is loud. I, we always complain about what we don't have, but we never praise about what we do have. Why don't we let our complaints be dwarfed by our praises for what we do have, being grateful? And the one on top of all the blessings. I want you to think about all your blessings heaped up in a pile. They look like a mountain before you as you start to number them one by one like the song says. They're heaped up in front of you. But at the pinnacle, at the very top of that mountain of blessings is this quote from the verse here. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lord, it's alright if I don't get that $2 toaster on Black Friday. Lord, it's okay if I don't get that promotion. Lord, it's alright if I get fired. Lord, it's alright if my health goes down the drain. It's okay, Lord. I'm alright. I'm content. Because of this verse here, you won't leave me or forsake me. I'm alright if my, my pocketbook's a little lighter these days. I'm alright if the gas is real skyrocketing high. I'm alright... Well, whoever's in the White House, not really, but I am. Lord, I'm okay because you'll never leave me and forsake me. If we live our lives in a lot of that, we'll walk a little lighter. We'll sing a little louder. Knowing our God will not forsake us even in the hard times. Even when we feel like we're lacking. We feel like we're missing out. Even during this Thanksgiving time when we just find ourselves to be grateful for the blessings God has put in our lives because all we think about is Thanksgiving. And then honestly, when we get together at Thanksgiving, we ain't even thankful then because we just gorge on whatever's in front of us and then pass out in front of the TV later and argue with our family members and we ain't even thankful then. Let us remember what the text says. He said, I will never leave you Oh, forsake you. When other people have left me, He won't. When people have betrayed me, He won't. When people forgot about me, He won't. When people broke my heart, He won't. When people broke me, He don't. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll finish on verse number 6 if you'll look at that quickly. So he can confidently say, the psalmist is what he's talking about. He can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. If God is helping you, if God is healing you, it don't matter who's trying to harm you. It don't matter who's trying to deter you. It don't, it don't matter who's trying to hurt you and lead you astray. If God will never leave you or forsake you, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? I, I want to remind you here 
What can man do to me is being reminiscent of what I told you earlier as, as, as Paul is writing to those Christians who are in the religious nation of Israel who are falling back in the Old Covenant. They're falling back into the Old Covenant because it's just too hard. They're falling back into what they used to know because it's familiar. There was a story that took place during World War II. There's an author named Mr. Frankel who wrote The Meaning of Life. He was a, a Jewish man that was arrested by Nazis and taken to Auschwitz in Poland that was a death camp. As he comes into the death camp, he had in his, his blazer his manuscript that he had poured his life into. And it was a manuscript on what is the meaning of life. This is called logotheology. It's where we base a lot of our pop psychology and psychology today on the meaning of life. He was writing the manuscript that will help us here in our modern times to help decipher somebody's psyche and how to help them. He was writing that in his blazer. However, they took his manuscript from him. And he was trying to write in that manuscript as he walks into this Nazi death camp, what is the meaning of life? And his spiritual child that he was writing has been taken from him. And as he walked around, he saw the conditions of this death camp that the Nazis had placed there. They had no food. He saw families ripped apart. He saw men deteriorating right before his eyes. And the, things, the thing at Auschwitz is during the time that the prisoners were there, they would have to rotate them out. The way you rotate them out is you take them to the gas chambers so the next prisoners of war will come in because that was the focus of the Nazi regime was extermination of the Jews. During this time, about six million Jews were exterminated. And it was time for Frankel's turn. So they gave him prisoner clothes to put on. The clothes actually came from another prisoner that was executed earlier that week. He was to wear those clothes because they would take the, the clothes of, the, of the, uh, the person that's being executed and they would take them and burn them as fuel or they might sell them in the shops just to turn a profit for their death machine. So Frankel puts on his prisoner garb and he feels in the breast pocket this is the man who was writing a book, What is the Meaning of Life? Why are we here? He feels in his breast pocket and he opens up. He didn't find his manuscript that said, What is the Meaning of Life? Why are we here? He found a prayer, a Hebrew prayer. The Hebrew prayer is, Yashas Israel. It says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is one God, one God in Israel. He read that prayer standing in the death camps in Poland and found the meaning of life. He was later released from the prison as the Nazis fell. The Allied forces showed up and released all the prisoners from that death camp. And as he walked out, he knew the meaning of life. He knew why we're here. He knew why. He had it in his hand, that prayer. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Really? Church, we know why we're here. We know why we show hospitality. We know why we don't defile the marriage bed. 
We know why we open up our lives to each other. Encouraging each other. We know why we assemble on a Sunday. Lifting up holy hands and singing and praising. We know why. But it's not really a why. It's a who. We know the meaning of life. And His name is Jesus. Amen. That man found out in a death camp the meaning of life. And it's Christ. Maybe in your darkest hour you learn what's the meaning of life. Why do we hear... Why do we, did you know that young people in our time, they're called millennials. They're the most connected people in all of history. We have social media. We have the internet. We got instant messengers. We got people who can type on a computer or a phone and talk to somebody in another country in another time zone. But yet they feel so disconnected. They don't know why we're here. Why we're put here. What's the point of it all? It's because they don't know who. Amen. They don't know Jesus. Amen. And it's our job to go out and tell them about Jesus. But why would we do that if we're just like them? We don't know why we're here, what we're doing. And we're just like them living however they live. That we're distinguished, that we're a priesthood of, we're a nation of priests to go out and tell people about this Jesus who died for sinners like us. Let us bow our heads. Father, as 